Welcome to Into the Aether. It is a low-key video game podcast, even though my delivery of that line is always very energetic. Uh, it is a low-key video game podcast. Anyway, my <laughs> name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Brendan. Yes. I think you and I are both very excited for today's episode. It's one of the games that we singled out that we were most excited for in the E3 episode, which was like our pilot, basically. Yes. And it's out. It came out Friday or Thursday at midnight, as my brain tells myself, which isn't a day. Yes. But it came out Friday. We have both been playing it, and we are going to talk about that for most of this episode. So we'll just say right off the bat, we're not going to begin with anything super spoilery. But like all from software games, there's I think a heavy yeah, I focus. think you can spoil what the name of the video game is. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Qbert Three, it's here. Yeah, wait, um, what was it? Dragon Quest Twelve this time. Dragon Cooper Quest Twelve, yeah. Sekiro: Shadows Die Twice. It is out. It is the latest game from from Software, published this time by Activision. I don't know the story there. It used to be Namco. Yeah, but regardless, it's the latest game from from Software who are known for a very distinct style of game that a lot of people really love and a lot of people are daunted by, or both. I am in the latter category. Yeah, uh, hard same. Love and daunt all around. Yeah. So we're going to talk about it. These games all have a pretty heavy focus on like inorganic sense of discovery and things kind of... Uh, there's a lot of, of little moments that I wouldn't want to rob anyone of, like discovering on their own. I've constantly tried to tweet about this game, and then I instantly delete my tweet because I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. Even though whoever caught the 22nd timeline of that <laughs> tweet's life maybe was ruined. Yeah, my current Twitter thread is literally just, I'm terrible at this game, I'm great at this game, I'm terrible at this game, I'm great at this game. Just <laughs> Which is ironically also our messages to each other. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think I messaged like, I kind of rule this game. Yeah, you told me like right at the beginning, you're like, I'm great at this. <laughs> I honestly, and I'll get more into that, I do oddly find elements of this game a lot more attainable than past entries. Mm. but we'll talk more about that specifically but all that to say if you want to go in blind go in blind and maybe skip this one but yeah. we're going to begin with just sort of an overview of what from software kind of means to us and our experience with the games and how we're liking Sekiro and how that game differentiates itself from the rest while also kind of retains a lot of the elements people look for in these games yeah I will say also like early on we're probably just going to talk more about the games mechanically and how they differ from other from soft games that we've played um, and if you find even the game's mechanics to be spoilers then like maybe skip this episode after we're done talking about like bloodborne and dark souls and stuff <laughs> right <laughs> right so from software have been around for a while but they're most known for the dark souls trilogy demon souls and bloodborne mm -hmm. but commonly it's referred to as the Soulsborne trilogy because yeah. the ones that really people gravitate towards are the ones that are directed by Miyazaki. Yeah. Itataka Miyazaki, not to be confused with Hayao Miyazaki. Yeah. Though that would be amazing if they had a. Could you imagine? <laughs> My neighbor, Solaire. <laughs> I, I just want to mention I have seen this now referred to as Soulsy Reborn, which I hate. <laughs> I just yeah, that's hate not that. good. That's not good. But basically, I'm trying to think of like in broad strokes how I would define them all, but the games are known for a crushing level of difficulty, mm -hmm. kind of labyrinthian level design, 
they're basically like a 3D third-person perspective of a Metroidvania in a lot of ways because Absolutely. there's usually a lot of branching paths. You may not be able to go to one place before another, or you can, but like it's not really. You're not given a strong sense of direction. Yeah. Like in any way, even with the plot, the plot for these games is like overwhelmingly cryptic. Usually. Yeah, it's usually you have to go in, read item descriptions, to have any idea of what's happening. I always got a sense that both in Bloodborne and in Dark Souls the opening cinematic to the game feels like the story you know like especially in dark souls that game's opening cutscene is a giant war between gods and dragons (laughs) and then it's sort of like whatever is left yeah it's almost like the story already happened and then you're kind of playing in the aftermath of an event and Mm -hmm. kind of seeing the world for yourself yeah I think Bloodborne is a really great example of that also. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Bloodborne is probably the most cryptic. I think the only cutscene in that game is like a man in a wheelchair whispering like, follow your dreams. And that's it. (laughs) And then you wake up and you're cursed. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, and that's the thing too. You'll occasionally meet NPCs in these games. And in Dark Souls and Bloodborne, there are a lot of standout great characters. (laughs) But there's always a sense that you're not really having the same conversation. Yeah. Like whenever you talk (laughs) to someone You're just a regular person. You walk up on someone like slathered in barbecue sauce, just like saying someone slathered barbecue sauce who goes like, "Oh, it's you." (coughs) Not many people come through here. I'll tell you what, though, make use of this if you find the time. (laughs) And then they give you like a doll without strings. What is this? Exactly. And then that's it. Like that's the plot you get. But I think. This might sound awful to people who aren't familiar with these games. But <laughs> Wait, are you saying that people aren't specifically seeking out games where people are slathered in barbecue sauce, whispering, coughing, and laughing to themselves? <laughs> Every NPC conversation ends with unsure laughter in these games. It's yeah. always like, or like, uh, like angry laughter. Like, oh, we're all doomed here. Don't even try. <laughs> yeah. Which makes it all the more special when you meet a character like Solaire, who is, like, helpful and optimistic. Right, yeah, exactly. And and that's really the games in a nutshell. They're they're usually very bleak. You get very minimal plot and minimal direction. So when you do find things out, it feels like a personal triumph. When you beat a really hard boss, it is you figuring it out. And when you have these moments of revelation in the story, it's because you have chosen to invest in the world. Mm -hmm. I always think of one of my favorite moments in Bloodborne, uh, Bloodborne spoiler. There's a character who you meet who, yes, is coughing, who you talk to through <laughs> his window because it's like you know, werewolves are running around town and there's like everyone kind of locks their door. It's the night of the hunt. And yeah. you can talk to this guy. Oh, God, I forgot his name. But he's one of the first uh, Gilbert. He's one of the first friendly NPCs you meet in Bloodborne. Mm-hmm. Oh, the one right at the lantern, like right. Yeah, when yeah, you get exactly. Okay, he's yeah. like, <coughs> go to Odin Chapel if you find the time. Um, yes. Then he gives you like an umbilical cord or something. <laughs> but no, he he probably gives you the strongest sense of direction early on. And I found just a natural desire to revisit him periodically. And when I did, he would give me new stuff and give me new information. And finally, at a certain point in the game, when I went back to him, there was like a werewolf near the house and I just killed it instinctually. Right. And then I saw that his window was broken. Yeah. And and I was like, oh my, like there wasn't a cutscene that stopped the action to show him transforming or whatever. It just happened. Yeah. It happened. And, and with 
without even realizing it, you kill this person that you've endeared yourself to because they're the first person who showed you any kind of humanity. Yeah, um, and even and though the they game were turning is, into a literal beast. Right, and the game, uh, both Dark Souls and Bloodborne, are full of moments like that. Actually, I know a little bit about Miyazaki's upbringing, and in interviews, he said that he grew up really poor, mm. and so he would read a ton in the library. But I think he was reading, especially with the uh, Bloodborne. This is the influence. He read a lot of books, I believe, in English and didn't know English as a you know first language quite yet. Yeah. So he would kind of just fill in the blanks with whatever he didn't understand. Oh, wow. And that's kind of how these stories are structured, where you're given like bits and pieces that are fragmented and might be from unreliable narrators. Yeah. And you're kind of left like with it open to interpretation. So that's fascinating. That's really uh, the, the focus of these games is that kind of element of discovery in a plot sense. Mm-hmm. And Bloodborne and Dark Souls both have pretty extensive character customizations. You can choose what you look like. You can choose what class you are. And you do love level up which does make things a little easier like if you're stuck at a boss and you feel like there's just no chance you can grind a bit to make it like a little bit more attainable but at the end of the day it's still you playing right yeah you can increase your health you can increase your attack there are like 58 different stats that you can upgrade and all of them are inscrutable except for like a couple usually it's yeah like, they're okay. called yeah, like belief yeah it's like, what, it's like, okay, what the fuck does belief do and then you pump it into yeah. it and then you go online and google it and you find out that belief is actually nothing it was just like a red herring stat yeah <laughs> then if your belief gets too high and none covered in barbecue sauce shows up and is like, oh, it's you! (laughs) And gives you a doll. And you're like, what is this? Yeah. What do I do? (laughs) But I love these games. Bloodborne, I would say, just right off the bat, if you haven't played any of them and want to get into them, I still think Bloodborne is the best entry point. Yeah. And everyone has the same experience. They go like, screw this game. I hate this. I don't know what to do. And then like my friend, uh, Chris, who I gave a shout out to last time, he had that like, I hate this. I don't know what to do. I'm not having fun. I'm losing constantly. And then he's like, I made bosses in. I've been up all night. I'm- <laughs> it's, it's the same. <laughs> There's a certain point where it just clicks. And honestly, these games kind of have to find you. Like, I don't think I know that like a lot of the adamant fans like kind of are like, oh, well, you just have to like really give it like you're all and you do. But you just have to kind of be in the right mood. Same with Hollow Knight. Like these games just have to find you at the right time in your life where yeah. you're willing to kind of get lost in a world that's immersive in a sense that like you don't matter until you prove that you do. Yeah, uh, that's totally. the best way I can put it. I find that with these kinds of games, I think Hollow Knight is a great example, but I think Bloodborne is my favorite example where I don't know what it was that like compelled me to continue playing and just like banging my head against the wall over and over again. It literally might have been like I spent $60 on this and I'm not going to just like give up on it. <laughs> you know, right. like I, I feel yeah. obligated to keep playing it. But there's always a point when the switch flips. There's always a point where it's I go from I'm just playing this because I feel obligated to to like all I can do is think about this game. I need to be in this world until I see it through. I need to like finish it and prove to myself that I can finish it. Absolutely. And that and that's a big thing is like proving yourself that you can do it because the difficulty is usually like nine times out of ten. It's usually rooted in testing your patience and testing your ability to understand the game. Right. Because every one of these games across the entire franchise I would say Demon Souls has its own kind of vibe the Dark Souls trilogy has its own kind of vibe and even kind of switches it up in between that trilogy and then Bloodborne has its own kind of vibe and Sekiro which we'll talk about has its own vibe but they're all teaching you different kinds of mechanics that are kind of based around the same version of combat 
Right. But each of them are prioritizing different things. So in, in Dark Souls and, and in Demon Souls, it's more about, you know, being extremely patient, blocking a lot, dodge rolling out of the way, just like waiting for openings and then using them and every boss fight's going to take a long time. Bloodborne was kind of surprising and weird when it came out because that game really required you to be kind of twitchy in your combat because as your health was taken away, hitting an enemy would regain your health. So you were kind of doing this back and forth, like trading blows over and over again until you could make it through things and that like frenetic gameplay was kind of I think a huge barrier for a lot of people who like learned the Souls games um, and like internalized how to fight in those games Bloodborne kind of upended that by making everything fast even though you're still waiting for openings and like learning enemy movements and things like that like it still required you to execute on a level that was kind of like wild at a speed that was kind of wild yeah and like for example like Dark Souls probably has the most customization in terms of what your player character is by far like you could be like a giant knight who is just plates and plates of armor and the sword is a statue on a stick you know yeah, like you could yeah. do that you could be a mage you could be like a more dexterity based character but you're either going to be rolling a lot or like blocking a lot with your shield depending on the fight and it yeah. is very it's a very defensive game mm-hmm. bloodborne right away you realize that there is no shield there is one shield and it's a joke yeah and that's kind of an in-game joke where you know like they're like Hunters of Yarnum don't use shields. Right. <laughs> um, sorry, I just stop coughing to the mic. But uh, yeah, so that's that's a basic overview. My experience with them, I played the first Dark Souls, and like a lot of people, it just it wasn't the right time for me to play that. Mm. I think it's really fascinating that that game came out the same year as Skyrim, because in a lot of ways, I think that they are both kind of landmarks in you know sort of fantasy RPGs, but in a very different. Yeah. Like Dark Souls is almost like the weird reflection of Skyrim, where Skyrim is a game that, yes, you can do anything, it's an open world, but the game is very much telling you that you are a chosen hero, and they're giving you arrows (laughs) on where to go, and telling you, and everyone you meet is like, hello, I know you, here's an apple, do this! And Dark Souls, like we said, everyone, like, no one really gives a shit about you, the game opens you're a rotting corpse in a rat-infested jail cell. Yeah. And I think the narrator goes, this is you. It's like, (laughs) I get it. I'm shit. Come on. (laughs) But I think that both games kind of give you that organic element of discovery. And I think Dark Souls, kind of like Breath of the Wild, is a lot more purposeful. You know, when you see something that catches your attention, it's for a reason. Mm -hmm. And I think that the only advice I could really give with those games is to be patient and to always talk to NPCs more than once. Like, always go back and revisit places. Yeah, That's what I really enjoy about these games, almost more than the combat, is, like, seeing how things change and how they are a result of my actions. Yeah, And that's something that the later games have really zeroed in on. So, I played Dark Souls 1, wasn't for me. I got Bloodborne, and Bloodborne really pulled me in. Mm. You skipped Dark Souls 2 and 3? Yeah, right initially. Yeah. Well, Dark Souls 3 came out later. Yeah. Oh, right, right. And the reason they call it the Soulsborne trilogy is because Miyazaki wasn't working on Dark Souls 2. He was working on Bloodborne at the time. So in a weird way, Bloodborne is kind of more like Dark Souls 2 than Dark Souls 2 is. Yeah. Dark Souls 2 is like kind of the black horse of the trilogy. Some people really like it. Some people don't. I think that game had a higher emphasis on PvP. And that's something else that these games are known for is that you can summon real players to either help you in an especially tough area or boss, or you could fight other players, which I never have really done the pvp in this game that does it almost seems like alien to what the game's vibe is like yeah you know completely agree like if they do incorporate into the story in a way that's interesting and it is also chris cryptic it's not just like pvp in the menu it's like ring this bell near the hollowed skull of the tortoise and yeah. then like you know then it happens yeah 
Um, you have to appease a dead wolf god, and then you have to defend the forest. Right. So getting into Bloodborne, then I checked out Dark Souls three, and now I kind of want to go back and just complete Dark Souls one because I got I got like fairly far into it. And Dark Souls one, by comparison, does feel a little clunky by today's standards. Like these games are very hard, and Dark Souls one has a lot of like hitbox issues. Like even like noticeably, like you don't have to like zero in and and like data farm the game to notice that. Right. Whereas because I think this Bloodborne and Dark Souls 3 are so well made that you don't like you usually it's your fault if you died (laughs) or Dark Souls 1 sometimes it's like I couldn't have done anything differently in that scenario. Game. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think like when it came out, it was kind of held on a pedestal in a way because it felt almost like a roguelike or like a spelunky where it was like every time I die, it's my fault. But then going and playing the subsequent games and then going back and playing Dark Souls because I went back and I started playing Dark Souls, quote unquote, remastered for Switch. And it was like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, there, there's some like noticeable jank going on here still a great game and probably i know a lot of people yeah a lot of people praise that game's level design the most because the games have gotten i think bloodborne and dark souls one both feel you get those aha moments when you open gates and you're like oh now i can go right back here oh it's such a like every time you find a bonfire in those games it's a breath of relief because you know whenever you die you respawn at the bonfire or in uh in bloodborne it's the lantern everything in bloodborne rebranded is so funny to me yeah like you know in dark souls when you go to fight a big boss it's traversing the fog and in bloodborne it's the nightmare fog i'm like okay guys you get it <laughs> you know you're like cool and some burton yeah i mean they do that also in sekiro too they do and we'll, we'll get into like yeah. what sekiro shares with these games but i would definitely recommend starting with bloodborne if you like that check out the first Dark Souls just for the sense of like world and the level design. Yeah. And then you could probably get to three. You don't really, I played a lot of three without having played all of one and I felt okay, but I think you're going to get more out of it if you're invested in the world. I think so too. Yeah. I, the, the thing about recommending Bloodborne, I would also agree that it's probably the best entry point. Honestly, I also think it's the best one of the ones that I played personally. I, I just love, love, love that game, but it's only available for PS4. So if you have like another console, then like maybe go Dark Souls one or two which are available for everything and three three's on everything dark souls one is also available for switch which you know yeah is rad it is yeah i i started this series with dark souls 2 because i had to review it for a site that we used to work for that's right and loved it did not know anything about miyazaki did not know anything about like the weird development of this game where he wasn't involved and stuff i had just heard the demon souls dark souls like kind of game ruled and dark souls 2 was going to be sick so i started playing it had never played anything that hard in my life and you know had had the very classic like like working through it, learning the combat, kind of internalizing mm. it, and then getting not all the way to the end of that game, but mostly to the end of that game, because um, I had to move on to The Amazing Spider-Man 2 for my next <laughs> review, <laughs> which is like the exact really opposite. The, the bloodborne of, of Spider-Man. Um. <laughs> Unbelievable. Anyway, so I, I never got to finish Dark Souls 2, but loved it, loved it. Then went back and played one, played Demon Souls. I, I I bought a used PS3 so I could play Demon Souls. And then Bloodborne came out, and and Bloodborne was a game where I had that like really hard wall right in the beginning that I was like, I think this game isn't for me. But like I said, felt compelled to keep playing it just because of the sunk cost. And then once I got past like the first two bosses, uh, which most people would say is like the wall for that game. Yeah. You kind of fly through it at that point because you've internalized at that point the very specific way that they're asking you to play that game. You do. And even though there is all, you know, the, the customization with all your different stats and stuff, there's a bunch of different weapons you can try that will allow you to kind of like tune the game to your play style. 
there is a, a way that they want you to play that game, which is you have a gun yeah. in your left hand, and they want you to shoot some enemies to stagger them so you can get hits in and things like that. Once you get that rhythm, you're gonna be punk rock George Washington in some way. Right. There's yeah. no avoiding it. Like just sort of what what kind of clothes do you want to wear? Yeah, exactly. And w- once you get that down, it's like okay, I I can begin to get this game. And once once you start like farming for blood vials and and all that kind of stuff, like the game kind of unfurls itself unto you as as you start to accept it i think and and that game just gets real weird in a way that i love it's like all my favorite shit it really does yeah it's a really interesting it has the most unique vibe because i mean dark souls has really cool monster design and it's a really neat dark fantasy world yeah the lore is great and there's a lot of great characters but at the end of the day it's knights and demons and stuff yeah whereas bloodborne is like you know, revolutionary war era, like colonial uh, Charles Dickens nightmare, goth werewolf Lovecraft hell. Yeah. Yep. Which is, I you don't see that too often. I didn't even have a name for it. I had to just like pick out of a hat. Just, yeah, like, you, uh, just, you just threw like 18 different adjectives yeah. at it. Yeah. So I, I think Bloodborne for me was like, although I had played the other games, Bloodborne was the one where it was like, I fucking love these games. Like I yeah. love them. I think they're incredible. And and like we've talked about on previous episodes, I was always kind of, I think, poised to love these kinds of games because of my, my like deep desire to constantly die in games like Spelunky and Rogue Legacy and stuff like that mm-hmm. and learn through death that that was kind of all that's been a thing that i've enjoyed in a lot of games so that like weird masochistic vibe really worked for me in bloodborne specifically so anyway they announced sekiro and uh oh i played three also but anyway they announced sekiro and you know just the idea of it not being bloodborne 2 not being another souls game but like we're going to take what we've learned through making all these other games and then apply it to a single player like story driven thing you're not going to get different kinds of weapons. You're not going to be able to level up your different stats to like tune to your playstyle, so you can't like be a mage that hangs back and shoots fire at people. And you're not going to be right. able to like use a big fucking hammer that you can just like whack out a boss's health in like three hits. You're going to use this one sword the whole game, and you're going to play it exactly as we want. Um, I was like, that sounds sick. And that's kind of I, I actually took some notes on what we, we'll get into Sekiro now and and what is different and how we're liking it. I'll just say right at the bat. So the way this game differentiates itself is that there's no co-op or PVP. So there's mm-hmm. no as far as I can tell, there's no direct multiplayer element. I think I have a hunch that there's something you can do, but not how it has been in the past. Mm. Another character won't show up and help you like at who is a human player. Right. There's no character customization like you know, you can't make your own character like in the past games. The protagonist is a set character. Wolf, I believe his name is. He's referred to as Wolf. Yeah, people call game. him the Wolf. And the only stats really are you unlock different combat abilities, different shinobi arts. You can jump, which is unreal. Uh, we did not <laughs> mention that you cannot jump. I didn't even realize you couldn't jump until this game gave you a prompt like jump. And I'm like, oh my God. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, so I, I have a list of stuff that's different here, but I'll say right off the bat, I am I, I, I say this often on this show, uh, so I don't want to say it's like the boy who cried. I loved this game, but <laughs> this game immediately felt like something very special when I was playing it. Yeah. I was really excited for it, and honestly, I was at a point where I'm like, this could just be like a Souls game in a different setting and it would work for me. Mm-hmm. And it very much has a lot of what From Software is good at and what they're known for. So there there are kind of bonfire equivalents, uh, the sculpted idols. That's yeah. where you rest. And if you rest there, you regain all your health and your healing gourds, which are like the Estus flasks, basically. Yeah. And the enemies that you killed revive other than like big bosses or whatever. Yeah. You can also fast travel between them. And I have to say that the sculpted idols 
bottles are so forgivingly placed. Like they they will put them right by a boss. Yeah. Which I like, I get that they're going for a different vibe here than in Bloodborne or Dark Souls, but like that was the thing that got to me after a while was like I would die from a hard boss and then I would have to walk through like a canyon of screaming uh, infected werewolves <laughs> to get back to the guy who was like a mushroom priest who would kill me and then I would go back. Yeah. And I'm like, I just want to go to the boss right away. Yeah. You know, there, like I there wanna... are, in a lot of instances, very clear paths that you can take to like either sprint by a group of enemies or whatever, just like avoid yeah. them. So you can get back to the boss as quickly as possible. And I, and I have to say, like, right off the bat, it's it's weird because this game is so much more narratively concrete, like strikingly so. Yeah. The game opens with a cutscene that establishes the story, which right away is more than Bloodborne has ever done. Again, <laughs> Bloodborne's story is whispers and item descriptions. Yeah. And the doll going like, of course, I do love you. Mm-hmm. Isn't that how you made me? Yeah. Like, that's all you get. Yeah. Or Sekiro, it's like, okay, your master was stolen from you, and you're trying to get him back. Like, it's a very simple setup. Yeah. And the world is super interesting. So there's still all that, like, mysterious lore and all that. Basically, it's set in a fictionalized version of the Sengoku era of feudal Japan, which is known for, like, a constant state of war, basically. Yeah. And you are a shinobi who... They were ninjas, not like how we commonly see them, but they were like ninjas in the sense that they were spies and mercenaries. Right. Trained in a bunch of different kinds of combat arts. So, and it's it's yeah. worth noting that samurai see shinobi as pretty dishonorable. Yeah. You know, like it, it was kind of seen as like a dirty and like low form of militaristic employment. Right. Which adds to like everything in Dark Souls being kind of sick. Um, yeah, <laughs> like every, yeah. Everyone is like covered in barbecue sauce or like scoffed at mm-hmm. uh, or fallen from grace in some way. So the game is gives you by far the strongest sense of direction. It sets up the story really strongly. You are immediately like ready to go. And the level design is a lot more straightforward. It almost at times feels like uncharted. I couldn't believe my like experience because... <laughs> yeah. You're, there's a heavy emph- emphasis on stealth, which is actually really well done. So there's tall grass you can hide in. Mm-hmm. Your prosthetic arm eventually gets a grappling hook that lets you swing around, which is unreal and very fun. And like yeah. so far, I've only had a couple experiences where I haven't like gotten it to work how I wanted to. That's because I was fighting an enemy that like I could hookshot onto his thing, and I was also surrounded by trees. Yeah, um, he had like a wooden board on his head, the ogre. So it's hard for me to target him. I would often like end up targeting trees, but overall works really well. Yeah, and you know you can you can the environments are kind of set up for you to succeed. Where you're like, okay, if I just run in and take all these enemies on at once. It probably won't work out. Yeah. I need to really think about how I'm going to use the environment to my advantage. And that's always very fun. Yeah. It feeds into you being a shinobi, a slightly dishonorable version of a samurai, essentially. And also, like, honestly, the best advice that I've seen for how to succeed at this game is you are a ninja, so play like a fucking ninja. Yeah. Go around, sneak around, take out as many enemies as you can. If there's a mini boss that you can sneak behind and, like, get a death blow on him, you know, before you even start fighting him, do it. There's no reason not to. The game literally puts that in there as a mechanic for you to do so you can win. And that's the other thing, too, is, like, the game also gives you... It stops the action to give you tips, which, from software, like, that... (laughs) They, like, have made a career on not doing that. Yes. I couldn't believe my eyes. I'm like, are they they helping me? The thing is... They're setting you up narratively, so it's a very strong sense of direction. The level design is a lot more straightforward and intuitive. The save points are very forgiving and well-placed. There's a lot of quality of life improvements of, like, traveling around. There's a training mode, which I will get very much into, so I love it. <laughs> so you hear all that, and you'll be like, oh, so it's easier. 
No, it is one of the hardest games I've ever this played. This is in my easily life. the Even, hardest of all of them. Easily. So it's it's them. It's like a cruel joke where they're like, "We're gonna make you feel like this game is more straightforward and more accessible." Yeah. But we're gonna up the ante on the core combat being close to impossible. Right. Now I will say it rules, though. It really rules. So the way this combat differentiates itself from the past games, obviously Bloodborne and Dark Souls have an emphasis on different styles of combat, but at the end of the day, you are rolling out of the way a lot, watching your stamina, getting in hits when you can, Mm -hmm. learning enemy movement, and that's kind of it in a very broad sense. Yeah. Bloodborne has the added addition of, of shooting an enemy with a fucking gun. You know, right, every and, once in a while. And, but that kind of was a, in a weird way. Like in in Dark Souls, you could parry with your shield yeah. if you timed it right, and and that was it. Basically, in Bloodborne, is that if you got a shot off right before an enemy was attacking, they would be open up for a visceral attack. Yeah, this game you don't have you don't have a traditional stamina bar like you usually do. You have your vitality and your posture. Yeah, as does the enemy, and you can basically swing at the enemy. You can deflect their attacks. You can step and dodge out of the way and you can jump yeah oh you can also guard you can hold down the deflect button to just like straight up guard against attacks right and often the enemies will broadcast their attacks with japanese symbols Mm -hmm. that telegraph if they're going to do a sweeping attack or a thrusting attack which is also a really nice touch yes that does make the game like more accessible even though it is so difficult yeah so once you figure that out, honestly, I, I've said this after I played it for a while, it plays more like a fighting game than it does mm-hmm. like a traditional Souls game. Like it's all about reacting to your to your enemies' attacks in a way that will break their posture and then you get in a kill move. Yeah. So it, it's worth noting that the, the way posture works essentially. So you have your vitality meter, which like every health bar ever will go down and when it's gone, you're dead. The posture, on the other hand, is a different kind of bar that goes up. It fills up over time. And and once it hits the edge of that bar, your posture breaks, which leaves either you open to get basically just eviscerated or if you're uh, fighting an enemy will leave that enemy open for a death blow which will allow you to either take out all of their health or if they have multiple pools of health take out at least one of those pools yeah and most bosses are set up to be like it's very hard to break their posture yeah and they have two or three health bars so you have to get in two or three death blows yeah i find that with most enemies in this game they often end in Either the enemy getting a death blow or you getting a death blow. Mm-hmm. Very rarely, like I'm, I'm almost surprised when I see an enemy that I just like drained of health and they like do the traditional like Dark yeah. Souls death. Because usually it's like you getting in what would be a visceral attack in Bloodborne. You kind of going in and, and doing a very over the top kill move and and blood just spraying out dramatically. I will say this game is notably more violent than its predecessors. Oh yeah, it's brutal. I mean, even though Bloodborne, the enemies are like, here are just a bunch of skinless cows that are like dancing to like out of tune operatic choir music. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this game is everyone is a human uh, for the most part. There are giant roosters, which I love and will not kill out of moral principle. But <laughs> most of the enemies are are human in appearance, so like it's a lot more brutal. The thing is, the spray of blood, which I which I've seen a lot in in this kind of setting sort of like the samurai shinobi stories where like there are these dramatic fights where it ends in just like a cinematic like spray yeah. you know like you know the fight is over it, it's so over the top that it kind of does desensitize you to it after a while but i will would say that for anyone who like doesn't really look i don't really look for violence in my games but it doesn't really get to me but i could see it getting to someone else yeah so i will say that as a caveat for this game 
but it's also so fast that it's not like it doesn't focus on that it just sort of happens and you get into a very kinetic pace and this game is notably faster paced in terms of like enemy placement in terms of how often you find bosses there's a very solitary sense of like loneliness and despair in dark souls and bloodborne where you go through these long twists and turns and and you see all these kinds of enemies and you're and then you finally get to a boss and you're almost kind of excited to see them yeah you're like oh someone's paying attention to me someone knows that i'm here <laughs> even if they want to kill me yeah and and those games are kind of anchored in the boss fights this game you encounter bosses pretty frequently yeah i kept thinking like oh this is the father gascoin oh this is the, oh i wasn't even near the father Gascoigne of this game yeah in terms of there being like a litmus test boss so yeah i'm really enjoying i honestly find the combat pretty intuitive even though it is so hard and it's hard because i think if you mess up once you're done yes exactly and it's worth going into the way death works in this game which we'll probably talk more about later because it is kind of a spoiler yeah but death for the first time has a bit of a penalty right well, it, so the way death has worked in previous uh, Soulsborne stuff is you die, you drop your souls or what are, what are they called in Bloodborne? Blood Echoes. Yeah, I love it. Blood Echoes. Yeah, <laughs> just, you drop be your... called, just be called My Chemical Romance. I'm cut to the chase, <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you drop your, your whatever, your currency, uh, and you also, or that's it, right? In, in those games, you just drop the currency, and then when you respawn at a lantern or uh, a bonfire, you can go back to where you died and retrieve that shit and then you know go and find another lantern and then spend it on upgrades and stuff the way it works in this game is a little bit different in that you will drop whatever money you have and you will also drop half of your uh, accrued experience so you have like an experience it's half of your money as well it's half of your money oh, okay. and half of your experience yeah. yeah so you have a you have an experience bar that fills up and if you die while that bar is being filled up, you will drop half of that experience. If you fill up the experience bar, you'll get a skill point and you keep those skill points when you die. Thank God. Um, yeah. But, you know, if you're like almost at the end of an experience bar and you're about to go enter like a really hard fight, I have oftentimes decided to not do that and turn around and go fight some guys until I get my experience point just so that's locked in before I go do anything Something else. I learned, too, is that you could pretty easily run away from boss fights if they're not going well. Which I've often done. Many bosses, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, not, not, not the like, not ones we'll get into. But there are a couple fights where I'm like, huh, this isn't going my way. I'm gonna rest up and then come yeah, back rather than wasting a death yeah, on it. Totally. But anyway, you drop all that stuff. You cannot get it. It's just gone. It's like gone, gone. So you would have to go and then grind to accrue that stuff again if you really needed it back. So that that's kind of an interesting thing. And then also when you die, you will have a chance to either hit L1 to just like finalize your death and say, I'm dead, dead. Or you can press R1 to resurrect yourself, hence shadows die twice. So you can resurrect yourself and then continue fighting. What you quickly learn is that there is a, as you said, a penalty for doing so, which I think you should get into because you seem to be very attached to this penalty in oh, a way yeah, that I'm yeah. not at all. I, I don't give a shit. Oh wow, okay. Well, so basically there's another there's another factor with death where there's something called unseen aid. Yes. It starts at thirty percent. Which basically means that uh, when you die, like Brandon said, you lose half your money, half your acquired experience. Yeah. It's also worth noting that like whatever you've invested skills in, you still have those. You don't lose yeah. what you've spent them on. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I haven't found like a huge reason for money quite yet. Like you can buy oh, the you will. Pay- Oh, okay. I take that back. <laughs> but Basically, the unseen aid gives you a passive chance of you not losing anything on death. Yeah. So in the beginning, it's at 30%. So one out of three chance that you won't lose anything upon death. Mm-hmm. 
die twice. You can revive yourself twice, and it's like right in the middle of the battle, which is a really cool thing because enemies walk away as if they think you're dead, and you get back up. Yeah, and you stab. And them. some of them even have voice lines. It's like, oh, you're still standing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the plot thickens. Uh-huh. That's a very bloodborne. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's you again. Those who return to the grave are the unlucky ones, if you ask me. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, so I could do that all day. So when you when you revive yourself on the spot, you get back up and keep fighting. And that's something you want to do when you're like, man, I feel like I just need one more hit or like I have yeah. this guy. And that's a feeling that you often get in the old games, which is kind of ironic. You're like, oh, my God, I was so close. This game lets you act on that urge. Yeah. So the game keeps a hidden tally of how often you revive yourself. And eventually you will find that there's a new item in your inventory that you can't get rid of normally called Dragon Rot. And it will also name a character, uh, which are one of the many NPCs you find. Your kind of home base is the dilapidated dilapidated temple, which we'll get more into after the break. I love the growing tradition of From Software Games having a friendly home base that's full of NPCs that stories unravel as you play the game. Yeah. Uh, Hollow Knight was really good at that. Bloodborne has that with the, the cathedral. Yeah. Dark Souls 3 has that with the Firelink Shrine. I love that. I think it's a great touch. Yeah. It's nice to have like a semblance of security, even though you know from software is gonna mess everything up and break your heart. Yeah, yeah. That, there was there's nothing like going back to that home base and just finally having a chance to exhale and breathe normally. Yeah, I mean, I love when games give you that return to home kind of vibe. Like that's Mass Effect. Famously, everyone always points to like going back to the ship after a mission. It was yeah. like the best part of that game. And and talk about our our discussion last week about Tarrytown in Zelda. But like that was how yeah. I felt going to Tarrytown every time. Was like I can finally kind of rest for a second. Um, yeah, absolutely. Which, nice. which I did build Tarrytown, by the way. It was a lovely quest. Yeah. Oh, unbelievable. We'll talk about that another time. But Dragon Rot. Mechanically, it decreases the chance of unseen aid. So that goes down by a percentage, yes. uh, X percentage every time you get Dragon Rot. I, in my time playing, accrued three because I was silly and thought that dying was the consequence and that reviving was like prolonging that negative effect. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of thought the opposite. So when you get Dragon Rot, it decreases the chance of unseen aid and it also makes every npc you've met one by one contract dragon rot in the story yeah which is an act which is like a sickness it's like an illness that is afflicting them it prevents you from like progressing in their storylines um exactly and a bunch of other things and more importantly it makes them awfully sick and these are characters that you may or may not get very invested in i already have <laughs> But I'm also so used to characters coughing in these games that I literally didn't know it was like a thing. Right. Yeah. You <laughs> just, you know, <laughs> I just thought it was everyone's like, <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. This is just oh, like it's Bloodborne again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we'll get more into that because that's a really interesting mechanic. And it's also something that I kind of, at a certain point in the game, you might want to know how to rectify that. And there is a way. Yeah. And we'll get into that later. Yeah. I have I have since found that but have not used it because like I said I I was very harsh before when I said I don't give a shit but at this point I still feel like I'm I'm learning the game mechanically so when I'm going up against a boss or whatever and I die I will always resurrect just to give myself 
a little bit more like training against that boss uh, just so I can learn a little bit more about their moveset and how I'm supposed to avoid dying in the future. But it, like you said, I, I think it really, that resurrection really is there for those moments where it's like, if I come back and I have a little bit of health left, I could clinch this. I could beat this boss. Right. That's what it's supposed to be used for. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's an interesting dilemma to be put in. You know, I think I like that everything kind of has a trade off. Yeah. It's not inherently good or bad to do one or the other. They both have negative consequences, but it's sort of like, and the story reason for the characters getting sick is the master is, there's some kind of special bloodline he is part of that because you're either, I don't know if you share the same bloodline or if you're just like close with him that he has granted you this power, but basically you rejecting death is drawing the finite resource of life from everyone around you, Yeah, which is fucked up <laughs> yeah and i mean i i uh, yeah i don't want to say anything about it because i've seen more but anyway uh we'll get more into the story after the break but unless you had anything else you want to talk about mechanically before we uh, yeah man a whole bunch uh there's i, I think the combat is is a thing that we could hone in on like forever yeah the, the combat is kind of unreal in that I, I think like what you have come to expect from other soulsborne stuff uh if you have internalized that and that is kind of like second nature to you i think you'll find this game really difficult i almost wonder if coming in and playing this as your first game by FromSoft would actually be better for you so bloodborne is the one that i got the most into and in bloodborne a lot of that game is shooting to get visceral attacks uh right before somebody finishes you off or parrying out of the way and then using that opening to attack this game is fascinating in that parrying and blocking do not stop an enemy from attacking you it just prevents you from getting hit and also raises that posture bar which again if it fills up it breaks and then you're open to attack somebody with clean hits which is kind of an amazing thing because what it creates are moments where you are fighting an enemy and they are attacking you one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve times in a row, and you have to hit L1, 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 L1 every single time they're hitting you. And then you're having like a very classic samurai film moment where it's like cling, 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 cling. I'm blocking all of these attacks, filling up their posture bar. Eventually it'll break because they've attacked you, you know, as many times as they possibly could, and they need to take a break, and then that's when you attack them mm. and then finish them off. And that's like almost every fight in this game for the most part, with the exception of the moves you were talking about before that are like stabs that you will have to like dodge out of the way of by sidestepping left or right, or sweeps where you have to jump over the sweep and then like maybe kick them in the face while you're in the air, which is yeah. a great move, or, or dodging out of the way, things like that. But I feel like in previous games, parrying at the exact moment was rewarded, whereas this is more like it's just keeping you alive a little bit longer. Yeah, and there's a lot of, like, the addition of jumping just gives you another dimension to worry about, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, yeah, suddenly having a Y-axis is like fuck <laughs> like i always forget and i wonder if that i wonder if that's why i'm having like it's definitely a challenging game but i'm not struggling as much because like i am like exceedingly average at the bloodborne and dark souls games mm. so like this this feels like a different experience and i'm kind of learning it on its own rhythm yeah so i don't like have like a preconceived notion of how it should work yeah i also like playing this game i am constantly thinking that this is simultaneously the best and worst game to start with if you're new to from software I completely agree. There's so much that gets gets it up and going, and there's a lot of it that's like way more attainable, especially with the plot and the setting yeah. and the game design. But the core game is is like for <laughs> really, really a separate 
thing. Yeah. Like one one of the bad habits I pulled from Bloodborne going into this game is using the circle button to dodge left or right out of the way of attacks. Like that's not a viable thing to do all the time in this no, game. And that'll get not, you killed more great. frequently than anything else. You really do have to be parrying at the exact moment, deflecting attacks constantly. What's great is there is a boss at one point that is straight up a Bloodborne boss that like dodging out of the way is the way to beat it, which I thought was kind of hilarious because I had just yeah. finished unlearning dodging out of the way and then they were like no 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 you still have to have that in your tool set I think I fought that same boss and I thought a similar thing and I was like oh this is so cool that all the bosses feel like you have to fight them all on their own terms yeah you know exactly it's a fantastic game and I think that it's really even like even when I'm frustrated and this is the thing where I think that it would be a hard game to start with if you're new to the from software brand because it is so hard like (laughs) even even more than the other ones and I I have learned because I know what to expect from these games that like that comes with the territory and it doesn't frustrate me Mm mm-hmm but I could see someone being new to this being like, I really want to see the plot keep moving and I like don't want to have to you know, the thing about the thing about Bloodborne and Dark Souls is because they're so like atypical narratives where you're given very little and you have to find a lot of it and it's a lot of moments of discovery, you're kind of more set up to just sort of explore and play the game on your own accord. Whereas this game, you do want to see what happens next. Yeah. And you may kind of hit hit like brick walls along the way. Yeah. But I think it rules. I think it's unreal and I think at the very least, the game does go out of its way to give you helpful tips, which again, I can't believe from so it's so it's like the least on brand thing. And I love it. I love that they're doing that. Yeah. Even even down to every time you acquire skills, which I I think it's worth mentioning what what goes on with the skills. But like as you accrue that experience and get skill points, as I was talking about before, you can pump those into either like active combat abilities or passive abilities. And and the passive abilities will be things like, I just got one that every time I do a death blow on someone, I regain a little bit of health, which kind of makes it feel a little bit more bloodborne which thank God, that was like a beautiful skill to acquire. Yeah, the skills are really helpful. So you don't level up in a traditional sense, but you do get a lot of abilities that may make certain fights a lot easier. Yeah. So like some of the active skills, there's one called the Makiri counter, which I think is like the first one that everybody would agree as you're playing will help you exponentially uh, as you continue playing. And the Makiri counter basically is if somebody comes in for a stab attack, if they go to thrust at you, you can dodge into them. And what that'll do is like the most badass thing of all time, which is you step on their spear or their sword or whatever, and then basically just stab them right in the face. Yeah. It fucking rules. In this game, you do feel so cool. Like you really do feel like a badass when you play this game. Whereas like I always felt like I was a worm in Bloodborne. Yeah, it was was more like I am just trying to survive in other games. Whereas this game, it's like, no, I'm going to rip you to pieces. Yeah, You rule. I think the boss fights are, are the best indication of that, especially the kind of like faster paced ones where they're coming at you with like attacks constantly and you're just deflecting for like 30 seconds straight until you can attack once or twice and just like trading blows back and forth trying to raise each other's posture bar like that shit is awesome and it's always in like a beautiful location you know so it just it just feels cinematic at all times you mentioned this with fallout 4 being the first fallout game you got into because there was like a palette that wasn't just gray yeah this game is beautiful there's a lot of really warm colors used and even when it is is like a dismal setting like it is gorgeous yeah it, it feels like the most beautifully designed game and and the thing about dark souls and bloodborne is they are purposely unsaturated yeah right that's the vibe they are going for mm-hmm. but it does get to you after a while yeah. purposely yeah yeah it's all it's all it serves it serves the the theme of those games in a way that it yeah. like didn't in in fallout 3 i guess it kind of doesn't Fallout 3 but they're trying to be like goofy and whatever anyway the, your point yeah this game feels a lot more like an homage to like a lot of 
of different media, yeah. um, but still very much has the From Software brand attached to it. Yeah. I mean, one of the, my favorite things is in the, this isn't really a spoiler, but in the very beginning, you are in a boss fight setup in yeah. like a field of like flowing tall grass. Yeah. Like it's beautiful. It's, it's the classic Souls game. Like here's your first boss fight and they're just going to rip you to pieces. But like you have to yeah. do it anyway. You have to anyway. And you literally can't win and he cuts off your arm and that's how you lose your arm. You, it's like in a moment of gameplay. Are you sure you can't win? I bet you can I win. I wonder if you could, but I'm sure it would still end with him cutting your arm off. You think so? Well, because that's that's the setup to you getting the prosthetic arm. Yeah, I just, I wonder. Could you met? What do you think happens if you if you win right there? Do you think the game is just over? I think I think it's like a joke ending. Sakura is like, oh, glad I dodged that one. And yeah, like Miyazaki shows up on screen and goes, oh wow, nice. Yeah, you did it. <laughs> Good job. No, he shows up and goes. <coughs> not <really good> <laughs> yeah, Miyazaki accrues um, dragon rot. Yeah. Um, oh, hello there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I that you're right. That that scene, the moonlit reeds uh, fight, is like classic samurai shit. It it rules. It's really it's really beautiful. And it's cool. One of my favorite things about this game too is that you cannot not play it in Japanese. The game doesn't let you change the oh, you voice. Can. You can? Yeah, yeah, it's one of the settings. I'm pretty sure it's a pop-up shows up and says like the way it's meant to be played is like this, and these are the default settings, but you can go and change it to English voiceover. Oh, you can change it? Mm-hmm. Well, I would recommend definitely like I'm not like a subs or dubs person, but I feel like it's yeah. meant to be played with subtitles, oh, like one hundred percent. Yeah. Cause it's and, and it's interesting too because From Software is a Japanese developer, and a lot of the games have been so Western in their setting, especially Bloodborne. Yeah. Though Bloodborne does have like a tinge of anime at times, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like especially in the where you have like these giant like axes. There's another Reed's moonlit fight. Oh yeah. But yeah, this game it's interesting that they now are kind of going in like a fully Eastern setting and it rules. And there's definitely still a fantasy element, so it's not like it's it's you know a very fictionalized version of a real historical period. Mm-hmm. And it this is awesome. I definitely want to get more into the story and the characters. Yeah. I will set it up with another thing this game does that's great for newcomers of all experience levels is there is a training mode. In your home base, Mm -hmm. there's a character named Hanbei the Undying, who is easily one of my favorite characters in these games. And he's just a really friendly and like serious guy who can't be killed. So the first time you meet him, he's like, hey, like, uh, I want you to like fight me real quick. And you do, and you kill him, and he gets back up, and he's like, pretty good. Yeah. He's like, I'm, I can't die. Like, might as well make the most of it. I'm here to train you if you ever need help. And throughout the whole game, you unlock more training modes with him. And the point in which I learned I loved him was he was like, wow, like you're really learning fast. Could I ask you one request? Maybe go a little easier next time because it does still hurt. Yeah. <laughs> like he's like, you know, I can't die, but this fucking really hurts. And you could either apologize or thank him. Yeah. What did you do? It was really interesting. I thanked him. I also thanked him. I, yeah. Because I think sorry was like, I, I, th- I wanted to emphasize how grateful I was for him rather than excusing the training. Okay, you know? Yeah. Uh, let's move on. Let's take a break. Yeah. Cool. Break. Steven, we're back. Hello. Tell me about. Your favorite new NPCs in this FromSoft game, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. They rule. I mean, I, I'm someone who always likes getting, I always end up, I should say, getting very attached to my like teammates in games like this. It's why I'm drawn to so many games where there's like a strong sense of ensemble. I just love that yeah. in, in all media. Because these games, too, are also such solitary adventures that it really does stand out when you have like a handful of people that are that are trying to help you despite everything. Right. So the ones this time, most notably, there's the sculptor, who's this old kind of sickly man who spends most of his time carving Buddha statues. Yes. 
um, that all come out like twisted in some way. And he, you get a sense he's trying to atone for something, mm-hmm. but he finds you left for dead after you get your arm cut off and drags you into this dilapidated temple and uh, fits a prosthetic arm into you know where you are missing your original one. Yeah, is it his? Is is a question for you? Is it his arm? I I keep meaning whenever I go visit. I I always forget. I keep meaning when I go visit to check if his left arm is missing. Like, is that what he did? Did he give you his left arm that was a prosthetic arm, or did I feel like it's implied? Um, so there is a story beat later on where he reveals who made the arm. Oh, interesting. Which I haven't seen uh, which, because he's dying of dragon rot in my game. <laughs> right. But once you, if you have the heart to cure him, uh-huh. you can progress his story seemingly by sharing drinks with him, which I can't get enough of. Awesome. And he shares a bit more detail about the plot and about the characters. I feel like they are setting him up to kind of be a weird future version of you. Yeah. That's kind of my feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't have anything to go off of that, but they do play around with time in this game, or one of the first things that happens is you can pray to a statue of Buddha that actually is well-made and is representative of what he's trying to make. Yeah. And it takes you back to a memory from three years ago, but you're living it as if it's real, and it has the same consequences as dying in the real world, right. quote unquote. Yeah, you're in a memory three years ago, but you still have your prosthetic arm and everything that you've just acquired and all of the skills and stuff that you have, which is very interesting. So I, I, I feel like at the very least, the sculptor is someone... He also mentions that he was a shinobi at one point. Yeah. So I think that they do kind of set you up to be like at least seeing him as like what could happen to you. Yeah. Like that that moment in Force Awakens when Rey is cleaning some shit on on Jakku and she looks across from her and the old woman is there and she's cleaning and there's that like wordless moment where she realizes that could be her future if she doesn't get off the planet. That kind of thing. Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. That that kind of glimpse into like if you stay on this path, where it could end up. Yeah. Especially if you get Dragon Rot. But yeah. yeah, I mean, so he was the first character to get Dragon Rod, and I just thought like that was what happened to him. But that's the thing that this game does so well is like even when things go wrong and like they are not like what is quote unquote supposed to happen they play the beats out so organically that it feels like that was what was meant to happen yeah like when i did finally cure dragon rot which basically you event i'll get more into who does this and why but you can eventually acquire a blood sample from an npc that has dragon rot and one of the characters at the temple can use that to form a cure yeah and you eventually unlock an item i think it's called like dragon rot blood or something and you can use that at the sculpted idols to cure everyone of dragon rot and to raise your unseen aid back to 30 percent Right. I, all I know about that is that there is a finite number of cures, so you do have to also be careful when you use that. Because mm. if you're like, okay, I know that I'm going to probably have to revive myself a lot at a certain point in the game. Do I want to cure them now, or do I want to wait until like everyone is like on the verge of, <laughs> yeah. like the every, if everyone is sick and then I can cure them. So there is kind of like a dilemma of using that then and there. I had three people with Dragon Rot and I just felt the need to cure it because I was like, I also at this point in the game I don't mind the loss of of money and skills currently mm-hmm. i could also see us playing this game a very different way already based on your smirk <laughs> i have like maybe six or seven people with dragon rot right now and my unseed aid i think is at two percent i'm so disappointed in you <laughs> no i mean play however you want but yeah 
So the other characters at the base, Emma the physician, who also rules, she is someone who is trying to find a cure for dragon rot, and she also can upgrade how many healing gourds you have if you give her gourd seeds, which are Estes flasks, basically. Yeah. I don't know a lot about her story yet. Thankfully, she did not get sick, but she did help cure everyone. She seems to be impervious to dragon rot, from what I can There's understand. something going on with her, too, because I think... I saw her and the master in a vision, and she seems to know a lot about how in reviving game, works should, in mention. the game. This is a game, <laughs> an in-game vision that Steve had. I turned my PS4 off, and Emma was like, hey, do you have any gourd seeds? Like, um, <laughs> that moment right before you fall asleep, you have sleep paralysis, and see Emma. My favorite moment with her is when I did cure Dragonrot, she was like, we should celebrate, like give this tea to the sculptor. Like I want to celebrate his return to health. And oh, then that, cool. that opened up the story beat, which was really cool. Like, And the sculptor is just like a very lovable old guy. Like, You give him the tea and he's like, oh, don't mind if I do. You know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I should do this. Yeah. The other character is Hanbei the Undying, who I mentioned earlier, and I just love him. And like, there's an incentive for me to always go back to him uh, to check up on like what he has to say and mm-hmm. any new training. Because the training does really help. And it's nice to, you know, because there's a consequence to death, it's really crucial to have an area where you can refine your ability to play the game without worrying about dying. Yeah. I, I absolutely recommend if you're a person who is considering getting this game, fight Hanbei as as much as you possibly can right in the beginning do all of his training until you unlock what is it free combat i think is is what it's called in the menu there's a there's a couple so there's free combat which he goes over all the basics and then there's free combat applied well yeah he does i just like, mean like just play through all of his tutorials right because it's right. going to help you just exponentially in the future and it's not the equivalent of fighting a boss or something but right. just being able to like once you unlock Makiri counter and like you said get go back to him and do like a Makiri counter tutorial and like just do that counter over and over and over again because even when they teach it to you like in the little pop-up tooltip that you were talking about before where it says like okay press circle right before a stab comes at you it's like okay they didn't tell you that you have to press circle while pushing forward on the analog stick you know you might dodge out of the way and like fuck it up so you'll learn those kinds of things by fighting Hanbei over and over and over again for sure. And the other thing that I'm just going to point out, because like if From Software has historically done one thing badly, it's the menus, like yeah. navigating the menus. Like it's fine, but there's just little things. You're like, why did you make this this way? Like when you unlock new skills, it shows them and it says triangle on all of them. And I was like, oh, do I push triangle to use this? Then you push triangle and then it tells you how to use it. I'm right, like, yeah. Why? So if you're unsure of how to do any of the new stuff you've acquired, hit triangle, then you'll see it. Yeah. But basically, yeah, Hanbei Hanbei is great. And I think this game in general, I think enemies do broadcast their moves in ways that are more visible than like in other games. You know, Mm -hmm. I think in other games you kind of really the training in in Bloodborne and Dark Souls was dying, but from bosses and from learn like, you know, there was no penalty to dying. So other than losing your your souls. But if you're fighting if you're fighting a boss, you're probably not like have a huge number of souls to throw away yeah but yeah i I think just the fact that hanbei is in this game is an indicator of how hard it is exactly you know i think the fact that that miyazaki felt the need to give you a character who is literally a living breathing speaking tutorial uh, right. not living, I guess, technically. But like, just the fact that that character exists, I think, just and his vibe is just like, how hard it's going to be. Yeah, he's like, well, I'm cursed and I don't have anywhere to go, so I might as well help you out. I just yeah. love that mindset. Yeah. And it's also from software's strength that they chose to make a story beat out of like what would just be like in a menu normally. Yeah, totally. That's something that every kind of corner of the game lives and breathes and time passes for them as it would for you. 
Right. I don't. There's an offering box near Hanbei, and I feel like that's where there might be room for internet stuff. I don't know. It's been empty every time I've checked it. I don't know if you've encountered anything with that yet. Uh, I haven't yet, no. Yeah, so I wonder if that's a way you can maybe give people items or something. I don't really know. Yeah. I also don't go back there as frequently as you do, so it's possible that there might be something there at this point. You're not as close with Hanbei as I am. No, I do. I did fight him a lot. That was honestly, I think, the, a turning point for me was when you were texting me like, I love Hanbei, he's the best. And then I was like, you know what, I, I should go back <laughs> and I should like finish his tutorials and stuff and started doing the free combat and then the applied combat stuff. And as soon as I kind of locked into fighting him over and over and over again and like did that for maybe like, 20 whole ass minutes and then went back out into the world and continued fighting it was like oh I actually did learn a lot by fighting that dude repeatedly like fighting Hanbei really did help me kind of figure out how I'm supposed to play this game which I think is like one of the biggest things that I would like to highlight about this versus the other games as we talked about like even Bloodborne gives you different kinds of weapons that you can use to kind of tune the play style to whatever you want and in a bunch of different stats you can unlock like this game has one way that you're supposed to play it it's very specific. Yeah, and it's the very entire, zero focused. Yeah, and, and exactly. It's focused and that kind of allows for greater design. Um, I think it just like kind of like how if you were to go play like new Super Mario Brothers U or something like you play that game as Mario and that's exactly how the level designers intended you to play it you know you can play it as Luigi and jump a little bit higher or or Toadette and you know jump high and stop short and things like that but like playing as Mario is the way that those levels were designed and the fact that there is no other option in this game besides you just have your sword and that's it (laughs) that's like basically actually something we forgot to mention though is your prosthetic arm gets different equipment abilities throughout the game right but even then like the equipment abilities are not like i'm using these abilities however i want and like that's kind of you know allowing me to breeze through the game because like i'm using the axe ability and that's letting me do this it's like no you use the axe ability specifically for dudes with shields and you bust their shields fucking open and then shove a sword through their mouth like that's that's what you use the axe for the the shuriken thing that you can shoot out like that is very specific for i've only used it one time or not one time but i've only used it against one very specific enemy just to kind of like stop them for a second in their tracks the the fire like you can shoot fire out of your prosthetic arm like that's for beasts essentially things like that like they're they're very specific so it's kind of like puzzle-esque in that way for sure it, it almost feels like zelda in a way of like you have like the hook shot and the in the yeah. grappling hook and the bombs i use the shuriken arm a pretty good amount especially because the thing about this game all the bosses are also surrounded by like 10 dudes which is <laughs> yeah. like you know like i remember i think i think probably the if i had to pinpoint in my experience the first boss that feels like this is probably a wall is the drunkard mm-hmm. uh, because he has like Two archers behind him, yeah. two dudes with shields, and there's like four guys patrolling the area. There is a guy in blue uh, that we both fell in love with who can help yes. you. Yeah. And he's awesome. He like, you know, like and he's a samurai. He like says his name as he charges into battle. Yeah. But like if you just ask him to help and you charge in, he will die in two seconds. You know, like yeah, he, he gets just eviscerated because there's ten people and a giant behemoth of a man. Like who is I literally, literally accidentally... spitting poison vomit at him. <laughs> I tried to sneak around through the hallways to like get rid of enemies, and what ended up happening was like a yakety sax like run through the hallway, and then he, everyone <laughs> got killed. Wait, really? Is that so? When you did you finish? You you killed the drunkard? I did. Yeah, I did. Uh, sorry to kind of like dive in a little bit. Maybe no, it's fine. Too much into the nitty gritty. But did you not stealth everyone before fighting him? 
I ended you, like, up finally so, finished him. The way I did it was, and I followed your advice. I, I, st- and the stealth in this game is actually pretty forgiving, surprisingly. Oh yeah, which is which is neat. Uh, and I also have a skill that like upgrades my stealth. I use stealth. A I lot. also did that. Yeah. Yeah, but I stealthed all the guys around him until it was just the drunkard, and mm. then I invited the guy to fight. And it was that literally gave me goosebumps, like fighting the drunkard with that samurai oh, and yeah. like. We basically did X slash from Chrono Trigger. Like it was amazing. <laughs> yeah. And and he survived. Cause like that I was like, I can't I will not feel good. And this is also very evocative of how I play these games. I was like, I can't accept a victory if this guy dies too. Yeah. Like I need to get through this. And I texted him, I was like, I did it with uh, we call him the blue guy. I forgot his name. Yeah. Uh, but he has like a very awesome blue kimono. Really cool fight. But yeah, there are bosses and mini bosses pretty frequently. Yeah. So I think that that's kind of cool and it might be nice for new players because there is like a constant sense of engagement yeah you really don't have the lulls that you get in the other games but those are also purposeful because it's more about the environment and stuff right though this game does kind of have like a package of a triple a game but with a lot of the from software stuff like they've doubled down on the from software stuff Mm-hmm. with the structure of like a triple a game if that makes sense yeah not that not that like bloodborne wasn't a triple a game but like this this one really feels like it like i'm playing on the playstation 4 pro and like it is in full ass 4k with hdr and is beautiful i find myself very frequently turning off the hud and taking screenshots of just yeah, like, and, really cool shit and i said triple a as a compliment because like it's so cinematic it's it really does set you up for success but it has like the crypt NPC shit where like you might secretly be making everyone sick yeah. you know and and <laughs> it still benefits from like just on a hunch I'll go back and talk to an NPC and I'll get a crucial item that I easily could have missed yeah so it has all that stuff still which I love this could easily it's it's too soon to tell but this could easily be my favorite from software game I think yeah. it's I think it's it will, time will tell and it is very different and, I, and I'm happy about that because we always talk about like not falling into a, you know like doing the same thing over and over again yeah so I think that after Dark Souls 3 people love that game overall but they were like okay this is kind of more of what we love about it yeah it kind of feels like just the polished version of Dark Souls 1 like is from software gonna keep because they I think Miyazaki said like I think it's kind of amazing and out of his intention that they're there was a Dark Souls trilogy. I think if he like oh, yeah. stuck to his original intent, there probably just would have been one. Yeah. But I think that because there was two made outside of his influence, he kind of wanted to end the trilogy in a way. Yeah. And so Sekiro is a really it's a really perfect example of a developer and of a creative director retaining what makes their like auteur style their own while really embracing new things and kind of using like the production to the fullest advantage yeah it's it's a really great game i could easily see this being one of my favorite games in a while yeah i'm i'm right there with you i very frequently have moments where i think about this game in comparison to bloodborne and ask myself like am i enjoying this more than i was enjoying bloodborne at like its heights and i think the answer a lot of times is yes and i think part of that comes from like whenever i beat a boss in bloodborne like one that i was like really just stuck on for a long time whenever i beat them it was more like a oh thank god that's over like that was just like really hard it's relief yeah yeah. and in this game whenever i kill a boss like that i like i will very frequently scream like fuck you like as the sword goes into them i'm just like i hate you you know i 
I often like, yeah, I think I, I high-fived whoever was in the room with me at the time. I was like, <laughs> yes, I can't believe I did that. Yeah. It feels a lot more celebratory. Yours is more rooted in hatred, which is why you're making everyone sick around you. Yeah, but, exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> amazing. But yeah, I, I know exactly where you're coming from. I, I think this game really just like kind of takes everything that makes FromSoft games good and makes it even better and like roots a lot of the, the thematic and mechanical stuff in the narrative, which, you know, Dragonrot's a great example of that dying repeatedly is a great example of that it's kind of amazing even that they figured out a way to make that work and on top of that the fact that like there is a character who is a human being who speaks and has opinions and like thoughts and like that's kind of amazing compared to just the classic silent protagonist of every other soulsborne game that you've ever played where you create a character that looks exactly like meryl streep in the devil wears prada as i did um <laughs> I, I played through bloodborne as miranda Priestley, and it fucking ruled i just spend like hours in that character creator trying to make something that doesn't look like the wikipedia definition of uncanny valley like i'm just like please like i want to not have a nightmare the irony too is in dark souls one at least you spend all that time making a character and then they're just a zombie like they immediately tell you they don't tell you that yeah, and then yeah, you're yeah. An undead corpse. Yeah, this game this game is amazing, though. It really is. Like, you are actually, you're on a boss that, um, I don't know if you want to say the name of the boss or not. Do you want to? Uh, Lady Butterfly? Yeah, okay. There it is. Uh, I'm, I'm on, I'm actually at two bosses. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think, again, it's kind of like you said with Baba as you, like having the option of where I want to get my ass kicked is actually a great, yeah. like it are keeps me going. Yeah. Are you exactly where I was last night? Are you past the ogre or are you fighting the ogre? I, I'm past the ogre who I, I need to give a quick shout out to. The ogre is probably my favorite character in the game and my friend my my roommate who was watching me play was like i'm this is his story i'm rooting for him because he has like very hulk hogan-esque wrestling moves as his thing yeah it's amazing it is straight up wwe out of nowhere there's a guy with a spear that comes to like help him out and like in my head they're this weird tag team my my roommate put on Hulk Hogan's theme song, like, I am a real man. You know, it's Incredible. like, don't mess, with, don't mess with my friends. And then, like, he, like, body slam. <laughs> yeah, he does, like, drop kicks. Yeah, he, he's a very, like, he has a lot of finesse, a lot of good attitude. He was definitely, like, the face <laughs> of the of the match. Yeah. But I beat the ogre. Okay, he, so you're was on the boss the, after that, then. Was he the Bloodborne boss you were talking about earlier? Uh, No. Lady Butterfly is the Bloodborne boss. Oh, interesting. See, because with the ogre, it's like he he takes damage kind of as you hit them so like it's not really he doesn't really have the posture to break it's more just like a kind of draining his health over time you can get in a death blow eventually but yeah that to me was more about dodging stuff but yeah lady butterfly is and then the, the other boss i'm on is the, the person after the ogre which i wasn't mm-hmm. prepared for and i was like, i'll come back here later yeah um there's like 20 guys and like a really legit looking samurai dude so i was like i'm gonna leave this room oh oh are you talking about that general yeah oh that's another mini boss that's not even the boss in that area okay <laughs> this is just a heads up <laughs> the game does that a lot you're like oh you thought that you thought that was a boss that's just who you're gonna see everywhere now yeah a big uh, a, a good indicator of who is a boss and who is a mini boss uh the mini bosses are They'll have names, but they'll be on the top left. Um, and then actual, like, real-ass bosses will have their name on the bottom, kind of like a classic Souls boss. So Lady Butterfly is the boss right after the drunkard, yeah. um, who I guess is the mini-boss. Like, literally right after. Like, it's like oh, the next thing that happens after you fight the drunkard. Is there like, is a cutscene. Oh, scene. you thought that that was hard. <laughs> yeah. 
There's a cutscene, and she is someone who uses illusions and like throws daggers. It does definitely feel like a Dark Souls Bloodborne boss because you're stuck in an arena. Yeah, it's like a burning house. It's beautiful. It's a really cool cinematic moment, and she just completely eviscerated me. Yeah. So I'm. That's where I'm at. And you beat her, and I literally can't believe that. Especially, <laughs> like, I just can't even see that being a possibility. Yeah. What I wanted to just mention about Lady Butterfly is there. The reason I love this game is because of the way that fight goes, where it is literally you just like deflect, 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 attack, attack, deflect, deflect, attack, attack. And you're just like doing that back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And there's sparks flying all over the place. As you said, the house is burning down around you as you're as you're fighting this person. She's jumping into the air and trying to do like uh, wild like kunai knife throws at you like from midair. And, and you can, you know, jump up and attack her, like do a myriad of different things to like avoid those attacks. But it is so fast paced that by the time you're done like if you make it through that whole fight and say you don't die and resurrect or whatever if you make it through that whole fight that is the most cinematic fight i've ever had in a video game yeah it it achieves what i think a lot of other games have tried to do in the past which is make you feel like a badass samurai and it, it it achieves it on a level that i don't think i've ever seen before and like it's kind of amazing that after the dark souls games and demon souls and bloodborne miyazaki was able to look at the combat that that he and his team had put together for those games and said like you know what this would actually be perfect for is achieving that that like hero fantasy that power fantasy of being a samurai in those movies it it rules those moments when that clicks and and you are actually like achieving those moments of just like sparks flying all over the place because your swords are clashing like it's sick it is yeah i mean the raddest it feels game ever. it feels so cinematic because like i mean even though the fight the combat's really exciting and bloodborne dark souls you do get a sense after a while of like i'm hitting a giant's feet like <laughs> desperately <laughs> yeah. you yeah. know this game you do feel like and i think it goes into the story too where like they actually like you are a character that speaks who was named yeah and uh yeah i mean i i think that i can see a from software fan who really does value the pvp or co-op element being a little disappointed mm. and I can see like if you prefer like a more open-ended RPG where you're like making your stats and your classes and all that but I don't know I I, I can't really see anyone being disappointed with this game yeah. <laughs> truly I can see it being not for you or maybe you prefer like I think once enough time passes I can look at the from software library and be like each of these games is really going for their own thing yeah and I think that that's made even more clear by this game being so so much of a of a organic departure Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I absolutely love it. I can't. I will probably talk about it with you again. Also, I had a weird fleeting mad thought. Uh, we've talked last time about like. Oh my god. Well, <laughs> yeah, you know where I'm getting at. Yeah, I absolutely you, do. You were like. We were talking in last episode, I had an idea like, wouldn't it be fun if Brendan and I like set out to platinum a game before the year's end? Because I've never done that personally. I think you might have. Yes, I have two times. Two times. Sly Cooper and what was the other one? The Witness. The Witness. Very cool. Those are, uh, what a combo. Yeah. Well, Sly Cooper's was an accident, as I mentioned in the last episode. (laughs) Right, right. You stumbled into greatness. I was like, do I dare set out to platinum Sekiro? Do I lose my mind this year and, and, and have that be a thing? Yeah. I'm looking at the trophy list right now just to see like how attainable this is it's it's it would be difficult to do this <laughs> it's gonna be difficult to get like past where i'm at right now yeah it's gonna be but... hard to beat this game much less <laughs> well maybe we'll start with that we'll start with beating it because i think because i've actually never completed a from software game okay. ironically 
having to start to bed. I've gotten very far into Bloodborne. I usually end up like getting to a point and then I just kind of want to restart it with a different like character. I do that a lot in RPGs yeah. where I'll make a new character and want to experience it again because I do have to really be in a certain mood to play these games. Like, you re- like Bloodborne is my Halloween game. I always play it on Halloween. Mm. Dark Souls I usually go to like oddly again like, the summer I feel like sometimes. Yeah. And I guess this is spring man. I mean it came out in March which is like winter-ish but I am now in the mood for this game and I this will probably be the game I play mostly for a while yeah I'm really I, I think it. me too honestly I am very surprised at how quickly I've attached to it and and I've gotten I would say pretty far past where you're at now because like once I beat Lady Butterfly and another boss past the general that you're just talking about so like down those two branching paths once I got past both of those that was the point I think for me when when my brain was like I understand how I'm supposed to play this game now and in all of these games the way it has always worked is once you get past whoever that wall of a boss is you kind of I don't want to say fly through the rest of the game but you kind of know what to expect and you're a little bit better at reacting at that point point. and that's where I'm at now where I'm just like seeing more of the game at a faster clip than I ever have before and the stuff that I'm seeing now is like really like talk about the power fantasy of the Lady Butterfly fight like every moment of the game now even like random enemies I'm finding feel like that feel like those like holy shit holy shit holy mm-hmm. shit Shit, oh my god I just stabbed you in the in the throat kind of moments it is sick it is so fucking cool at all times now yeah and and I love it and I can't wait to see what's next yeah I and I want to recommend it to a lot of people I also recognize that this is not for everyone like we at the end of the day our fans are from software and this is like yeah a gift from the heavens basically <laughs> yeah I would be very curious if someone out there hasn't played these games and started with this one because again I, I do think it's simultaneously the best and the worst to start with i think if you want to get the vibe that the other games go for bloodborne is still the best starting point yeah but that's another game too that like the beginning of that game you feel like you can't do anything and then suddenly you do and you're like oh this is great yeah, once you beat, uh, what is it, Cleric Demon and uh, what's his name, Father Gascoigne. Like, Father Gascoigne. Once you're past those two, it's like, oh, yeah, I could, I could maybe do this. I could do this. Yeah. The but, Witches you know, of Hemlock? <laughs> come on. <laughs> the first, I would say, three hours of me playing Bloodborne were me unlearning Dark Souls, and the first, like, three hours of, of Sekiro have been me unlearning Bloodborne. Right. You know, so I, I would say going into this game blind as your first attempt at something, you'll probably spend those first three hours just learning from soft you know learning the, yeah. the very basic vocabulary that will apply to everything else i think at the very least though the story is pitched in a way that is more attainable than like but that's also what makes these games beautiful and there still are those quiet moments of discovery like sharing a drink with the sculptor and, and all that like yeah it still very much is on brand for from software which i'm happy about because i was kind of worried that like i was simultaneously worried that it was either going to go too far away or stay too close to the like structure i think it's a perfect balance yeah I, perfect I posture totally agree yeah without diving right back into this again but i i I do feel like as I'm playing it, it feels to me like this will probably end up being my favorite one out of all of these by the time I'm done with it. I think so. I just think it's, I mean, it, it kind of in a weird, I know we, it's as if like we're cursed to say that it's the phrase Breath of the Wild in every episode, <laughs> but it does kind of have a version of like playing Breath of the Wild and being like, it's going to be hard to play any other Zelda after this. Yeah. You know, I feel like it's going to be hard for me to like revisit other from software games after being like, I know what I can get from Sekiro. Yeah. Or like Skyrim and Oblivion. Although, oh God, I just did it again. <laughs> Our contractually obliged, obliged mentions Oblivion mm-hmm. and, uh, 
Breath of the Wild. But yeah, it rules. I would recommend getting it if you are willing to really kind of learn and, and like it does kind of have like what I like about fighting games where you're kind of getting better and you're focusing your enemy and and there's like that skill ceiling there. Yeah. So my yeah. uh just just my last bit of advice just to reiterate Play the game like a stealthy ninja. Stealth mechanics are in there for a reason. Don't be afraid to stab people in the back over and over again. Don't be afraid to run away until people forget that you're there and then go back and then kill them. Yeah, I had a moment where I was like, wait a minute, I'm a shinobi, not a samurai. I don't need to show up and announce my presence and like fight them one on one. And fight 10 people simultaneously. I can slit throats and hop around and, and, you know, like you said, play like you're an assassin. Right. Stealth. Yeah. Yeah. Sekiro, it's amazing. I imagine we will probably talk about it again, and I imagine we'll talk about it a third time during our Game of the Year discussion. Yeah, probably. This is definitely the best game I've played this year. I'll just say that right about. Like, it, I mean, it's very different, but I feel like, I mean, I've really enjoyed Apex Legends. I've really enjoyed, like, a lot of games that have come out that we've talked about. But this has that feeling, at least for me subjectively, where you're playing something or reading something or watching something, and you just, like, have that sensation. You're like, oh, this is going to be a big deal for me. I, I just yeah. know it. Like, I, like, I'm already feeling nostalgic for the first time I experienced this, and it's now. Yeah, yeah. I think I think one of the things I texted you, like, right when I started playing was, I'm playing this game, and I'm excited to play more of it yeah yeah i'm i love it and you know again like i don't want to the thing the the tragic fate of any from software fan is having these like really strong feelings about the game and wanting other people to have them and everyone else is like i'm a normal person who just likes to like live my day and not be stressed (laughs) out and like not like get punished by entertainment so bye yeah totally but if you're not a normal person you will love sekiro yeah cool is that it? Is that the episode? I think that's the episode. We talked about Sekiro for, for about as long as it took me to beat the drunkard boss, basically. <laughs> Great fight, though. Great really fight. It was really, it was gross. Yeah. I can't wait for Burned you to beat and poison. Lady Butterfly. Yeah, maybe in a year. Yeah. <laughs> Now you know what you know what's kind of funny. I did forget that I could block because I was so used to jumping and and dodging. Yeah, and and everything that like I'm like oh that makes total sense that I could block the many needles being thrown at me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Lady Butterfly. Yeah. It's a really it's such a oh god I <laughs> I can't stop talking about it. It's such a cool game. Yeah. I think at at a certain point we're gonna have to stop talking about it, but I I very much feel that. What's on the horizon? What's on the horizon? Um. I don't even know. Next month, Persona 5R is going to be announced. Uh, yep. We'll know wh- what that is. Yeah, what, what did they say? The R stand? Oh, Royal. Persona 5 Royal. Royal. I they, thought it was going to be a Ruby. Yeah, I also uh, thought personally. so, but apparently it's Royal. Uh, PS4 only at the moment, but there's another announcement in April around when, when Joker comes out for Smash Brothers, so I wouldn't be surprised to see a Switch announcement, but maybe there's not going to be one, and who knows? Maybe everyone will just be very disappointed. FF7's coming to the Switch on Tuesday. I have right. that in my calendar. There it is. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of ports happening on the Switch, like Cuphead's coming out. Like a lot of the a lot yeah. of the indie stuff is being published. That's really cool. Yeah, a lot of really good indies. There's a really good sale happening right now. If you're listening to this episode the week it comes out, just like every great indie game is on sale on Switch yeah, right now. No, for real. Night in the Woods, I believe. Yeah, like everything we've recommended. Pretty much. Yeah. It really is like a downloaded Excel spreadsheet of our data being like, this is what we are on sale. Yeah. But yeah, there really isn't too much much happening until the summer 
at least like what we know right now. Again, the Switch is infamous for being like, hey, this week there's a new Zelda. Yeah, yeah but totally. I'm actually kind of glad because between Sekiro and like my backlog and everything going on, this is like fine. I'm I'm fine. I don't need anything else. <laughs> yeah, I feel very much the same way. I'm almost like I almost wish nothing else would come out until July, so I can just like be a normal human being for a bit. Yeah, I I totally understand. But also on Monday tomorrow, um, as we're recording this on on March 24th, and on March 25th is the first ever uh Sony PlayStation version of a Nintendo Direct. So oh yeah, who well, knows probably, what's happening? I, I think next week I could see us talking about that and maybe the Google device. I yeah. know you have some hot takes on that. Brenda. Yeah, man. I as much as I love talking about Sekiro and could talk about it forever, I could also talk about Google Stadia forever. That is like <laughs> a thing that I've been dreaming of for years and years and years. Do you want to give any kind of quick broad strokes on that before we wrap up, or do you want to save that for next week? Sure. I think it's the future of everything, and I also think it's a fucking nightmare all rolled up into one. <laughs> uh, can I give my quick hot take? Sure. I think I am all for getting rid of games being expensive and being exclusive for that reason. Yeah. I think that like having a system where you don't have to spend $60 on an average game rules. Mm-hmm. The thing about this, I'm just kind of weary of it. Like you said, it's a nightmare. Like I'm just, I still am not like ready to have that be how I play games. I also feel like the big caveat is that like you don't need anything except a high speed internet connection, which like most of the U S doesn't have. Right. If the thing exists to lower the... Be- they, they keep saying it's a game console for everyone, or, or sorry, a platform for everyone, because they're not calling it right. a console. They're calling it a game platform for everyone. If that's... Maybe we're getting too far into it already. But if that's, if that's the idea, a platform for everyone, okay, cool. I don't have to buy a $400 console at any right. point to be able to play this thing. I just have to buy a controller. And in a lot of instances, you don't even have to buy a controller because the ones you already have will work, which is amazing. You can plug yeah, like, that's great. an Xbox controller into your, your Mac or, or your PC, and, like, that'll work. That's cool. That's great. Lower that barrier. But those same people that you're talking about don't have one gigabit internet from Google Fiber. You know, they don't, they right. don't, have, um, they don't have, like, a Verizon Fios connection in, in their apartment. So you, you kind of, like, only get half of what you're asking for or half of what you're setting out to do by doing that. They have also said that they've tried it with low internet speeds and it's been fine. And it'll lower down to, like, 720p if your internet's not up there. Part of the demo was them showing off, like, we went out and bought literally the cheapest computer we could find at Best Buy and still got this to work at, at like, 720p at 60 oh, frames cool. per second, uh, which yeah, is yeah, cool. I could see it. I could see it over time becoming something really exciting i think that initially i could see it being more of a service available on different platforms and like only having certain games like viable for it you know yeah we'll see i mean part of part of that announcement before it even started they were showing like icons that kind of indicated what games would show up and like red dead 2 was one of them and skyrim was one of them obviously because skyrim's everywhere civilization 6 was on there uh, I think Left 4 Dead was even like one of the things. Um, Somewhere I heard like the collective sigh of every science class teacher being like, "My entire class is going to play Skyrim, aren't they?" Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, remind me to yeah, talk I mean, about the time that I beat Pokemon Silver in chem class in high school. But anyway. right, yeah. So I mean, I'm I'm all for seeing how it plays out. I don't really think I have. I think it's interesting that you say it was the future and a nightmare because that's kind of what I've been seeing it reported as. Like people are either like, "This is it." Or like, oh, this is it. Yeah. I'm extremely excited for it and I can't wait to use it. But I also am very weary about Google being the company that's doing it. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like Halliburton's got a new arcade system ready right. for you. I mean, <laughs> exactly. Google's obviously like leagues more moral than Halliburton, but it is like, okay, one of the three companies that owns most of the stuff is now trying to own this too. Yeah. But it would also be kind of weird if it was like, hey, uh, the makers of dogpile.com, the 10th most popular <laughs> search engine, have a new game system. Like, yeah. Ugh. I mean, the um, only, re- again, I think we might be getting too far into it. Whatever. Just lean in. Why, why not, right? Um, yeah. The other company, that tried to do this that everybody always points at is OnLive, right? Like OnLive was the company that tried doing this like what, maybe even 10 years ago at this point. And like obviously home internet infrastructure wasn't even at that point yet. But like OnLive is some random ass company that doesn't have data centers all over the world. Google has cloud servers in like every state, everywhere in this country and all over the world in every country. Like if any company was going to make this work, it was going to be Google. And I don't think they would have announced it with the kind of bravado that they did if they weren't confident that it was going to work across the country at launch yeah and and I, th- I think the question of will it work or not kind of is moot to be totally honest more of the question for me is like what happens to game ownership what happens to you know privacy what happens to really anything like there, there's there are so many new variables in in what ownership and what game like history looks like um, because of this yeah that, that's a that's a really big conversation too of because like I think currently most of the people that are archiving games is in the ROM scene which is technically illegal yeah so you know I because I, I, it's like we can't really rely on Super Nintendo's working forever if we want to preserve those games and some games like the code has been lost and all that kind of stuff so you know like I know you're thinking like how will we preserve Gex enter the gecko well the answer is Google sign up today <laughs> Google Stadia. Google Stadia. Yeah, baby, said yeah. Gex to Google. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of Into the Aether. Um, yeah, we have, uh, Can I just say something real quick? Yeah, sure. I feel like historically I say something that does end the episode, and I've noticed that happening in my social life as well, <laughs> where I will say something that's not inherently bad, but it does end the night. I was out with some friends. We uh-huh. were having a great time. We were laughing. We were joking. Friday night in Chicago, uh, a, a well-lit night. It was beautiful out for the first mm-hmm. time in a while. Yeah. I mentioned that Chewbacca had a nephew named Loabaka. <laughs> and everyone kind of went like, oh, you know, well, that's kind of a good place to end the night. And everyone left. Like, wow. literally, like, we, like, it was, like, polite. No one was, like, disgusted. But it, and, like, we would have probably hung out for another hour if I didn't mention Loabaka. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I just noticed that in this show, too, where I'll be like, hey, Glover. And you're like, well, thanks for listening. You can subscribe uh, on Google.biz. <laughs> on Google Stadia. Yeah. On Google Stadia. But yeah, let's wrap up. Cool. Because uh, we've been talking for almost two hours. Yeah. Uh, hey. <laughs> 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 what are you buying? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> what are you selling? Not enough cash, stranger. That's He's a, actually very Bloodborne. Yeah, I was just about to evil. say, he, yeah. he would fit very well into Bloodborne. It, he, yeah. Oh, and you haven't met Zur in Destiny, right? <laughs> Thank you. Zur is also I, very, uh, could be a Bloodborne person. Anyway. Um, I just got evicted, by the way. I did that voice, and I just got a pe- carrier pigeon and said I'm no longer welcome in my apartment. Oh, wow. I'm sorry yeah, to hear that. So, and I'm the end of all things, Stephen yeah. Hilger. Well, I have a couch you can crash on if you feel like coming back to New Jersey. Anyway. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks to everybody who listened to this whole ass episode. Yeah. Um, thank you, you to everybody like who has been talking about the show and tweeting at us and things like that. Uh, we have sure. a Twitter account at Into the Cast. Um, if you think that somebody in your life would like this show, please share it with them. That would be amazing. Uh, that is how the show grows. If you really, really like the show, you can head over to iTunes and write us a review. That would be amazing. 
Um, and yeah, the, the classic Steven sign off. We love making the show. We love everybody who listens to it. It fucking rules. Oh, it's you. Thanks for stopping by and listening. Not many here these days. <coughs> Can't say I blame them. I'll tell you what, though. If you pass the cathedral, maybe put this in the dirt for me, will you? The head of a dummy. What do I do with this? <laughs> I think you put it in the dirt by the cathedral. <laughs> yeah, and then someone gets sick. Uh-huh. Uh, Brendan just stole my thunder by doing the uh, canon Steven <laughs> ending. Uh, so I had to do a bit instead. But honestly, it, it's weird to say it every week, but we thank you. Like, this show rules. I love doing it. It's nice to say that sincerely and to feel that. It's been really cool doing this show from the year's beginning because last year we started in June. So, like... Mm-hmm. We are kind of getting into our like rhythm while the year was half over. So like I'm really excited to kind of look at this year and and kind of be more actively watching like what's coming out and like uh, it, it's just been a really great experience like doing the show with you. It's like unreal that people are outspoken about liking the show. It's great. Yeah, I, I, I it means a lot to me. I think and, I said uh, this in the very first episode of this show, uh, but there are about. Mm, infinite video game podcast that you can listen there's to there's a lot i mean even when you ask me like to be completely candid when you're like hey like do you want to do a video game show i'm like god does the world need another one yeah <laughs> like, I kinda, and i mean that's also just stephen hilger uh like on brand like sudden pang of doubt before committing to a project but uh, no no same though man like i it took me a very very long time to commit to the idea of doing one um because there are so many to listen to out there and and i don't think that i would have wanted to do this if i didn't think that you and i together would have brought a very specific different kind of vibe yeah uh, no, i was just world. i honestly like it, it, we can make this kind of uh roll into it as we did with the study before but when i moved here like i i missed the ability to work with you as closely as we once did um yeah so you you reaching out and this show taking shape was great brendan i love you and you're a great friend wow love you too steven and love everybody who listens thank you to everyone involved <laughs> goodbye goodbye Garbage dot online.